Welcome to the Arsenal Vision post-match podcast. Despite crashing out of the round of 16 of the Champions League, at 10-2 on aggregate, Arsenal have managed to not be the most disgraced club in the Champions League this season. This is the Arsenal Vision Post-Match Podcast. My name is Elliot Smith, and you can block me on Twitter. That's right, folks. PSG managed to take all the heat off Arsenal by blowing a 4-0 home leg lead and going down 6-5 on aggregate, despite the fact that they were three goals to the good with about 12 minutes to, to go against Barcelona. So, um... Yeah, I think it's uh, wave your Arsenal flags at home, everybody. We uh, we did just fine. Wouldn't want to be them. To be fair, I would much, much rather crash out in the manner we did so we can say we were fortunate. Now, <clears throat> Clive could not be here, so not much of a podcast today. But in his return, Paul, you can find him on Twitter at Posing in My Pants. Hello, Paul. Clive only pods when we're winning. Hello. Yeah, that, that's true. Well, then we may not have him on ever again. And also here, back, back from... Uh, isolation, back from exile. I don't know where he's been, but he is back. It is Tim Stillman. You can find him on Twitter at Stilberto. Hello, Tim. Hello there. Welcome back. Thank you. Happy birthday to your to your lovely wife. I'm, I'm sure she'll appreciate that. She won't listen to this. So. No, no, um, nobody does that. <laughs> why, and why would you? <laughs> we do this just to have a chat. Um, so quick rundown of what we're going to do here. Uh, there are a lot of macro issues at the club that need to be discussed, some manager stuff, some player stuff, uh, Otherwise, you know, pretty calm right now, apart from the uh, total collapse of any internal structure at the club. But uh, so we're not going to do too, too much match specific stuff from the, the second 5 1. Um, you can rarely, you can nice rarely say choice, that in a season. <laughs> How many times do you get to say, uh, which 5 1 defeat were you talking about <laughs> in the Champions League this season? Um, but you know what? It's a third 5 1 against Bayern Munich. So. It's just something in the water. Anyway, um, you know, I, I think we can actually start, though, with the positives. Um, it is a difficult game to analyze because the referee destroyed it um, with so many bad calls. We could have had two penalties. They probably shouldn't have had theirs. They certainly shouldn't have had a penalty and a red card. Uh, I think we can debate and maybe we'll touch on whether you should then ship four more goals um, and go down, you know, 5-1, but good God, it was like 4.5 to 5 just on XG. Uh, we can get into all that, but let's start with the changes. And Tim, we'll, we'll get to the front line in a minute, but he he went with a three-man midfield. It's something we've talked about at length on this pod. Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, without Coughlin in there and with a three-man midfield and with Ox in midfield where he has shown so brightly or the, the times he has shown this season certainly have been in that position it really seemed to work and we really put them under pressure for you is the attacking impetus we had in the first half and the i would say fairly dominant performance for at least 45 minutes that we displayed down to the changes he made in midfield specifically um a little bit yeah yeah i mean don't get me wrong there's there's an element of the pressure was off of us and by him we're only playing at probably 70 to 80 percent well, Until well the red let, let me just when... let me just say this: If there has one situation we have plenty of practice and preparation for, yeah. it is playing lights out in a meaningless second leg of a Champions yeah. League tie. No one can do it like indeed. We do. We're we're grizzled veterans. We are um, at it, and and Bayern, you know, we're playing at seventy to eighty percent until the red card, really. But um, I think 
I think I said on this pod a few weeks ago, I think you asked the question like, you know, what what would you like to see to try and, you know, as a set of jump cables for this season? And, you know, I, I, I think I said a three-man midfield, certainly featuring uh, Chamberlain and Granite Jacker and, and Aaron Ramsey. Um, and I, I thought it worked really well. It just looked like a functioning three-man midfield, didn't it? And um, I think there's a kind of, it, it looks like an interesting mix. It looks like a good mix of qualities, you know, because Chamberlain and Ramsey are fairly dynamic and that reduces, um, you know, the impact of Granite Jacker's lack of dynamism. Um, Chamberlain's very good at carrying the ball, almost, uh, you know, not fairly similar to Cazorla in terms of not so much yeah. breaking free from pressure, but getting us... 10, 15 yards further up the up the pitch and past the press. Um, and he really, you know, he's capable of taking us from, you know, into, from the middle third to the final third, um, basically. He's still got something to work on with his final ball. But actually, his, his kind of balls from the middle um, look, look pretty decent. And then that also, in turn, that allows Ramsey to do his running off the ball, which which really looks to bring the best out of him really. And it, it looked like, um, it looked like a bit of a balanced unit. And for 60 minutes, I was thinking this, this is pretty bad news for Meza Ozil, um, to be honest, because, you know, obviously the thing with Ozil is, he's an amazing player, but he does give you a few problems in there as we've discussed endlessly this year. But at the moment, Ozil's in a funk, he's in a real funk. And so, those He's got a serious case you. of contractitis, man. That's going around <laughs> all through but the club. It's ripped through the club big time. But usually, you know, is, is it in NFL they talk about the contract year um, when players actually usually their performance really, really comes up when they're, you know, when they're in the contract year. And, um, and, and so at the moment, Ozil's form is such that the problems he gives you just aren't as justifiable and um, I, that, that's like partly where the again. that's partly where the stereotype of the lazy German comes from. I would imagine, yeah. <laughs> obviously, yeah. yeah. And and I'd I'd really like to see this midfield again. I I think it looked like a really nice balanced unit. It reminded me a little bit, you know, of the um, of the Southampton game in the cup, albeit there are big caveats with that game as well. But you know, usually we get to this stage of the season and we're in a very familiar position of will we, won't we with the top four. And it's usually about this stage. We put a bit of a run together um, to just about get over the line. And that's usually begat by, you know, usually stumbling across something that works. Um, and, you know, we've done it with Kazola and Coquelin mm -hmm. and, you know, last year we introduced Iwobi into the team with Welbeck, which really helped us. And usually there's something that, that the manager stumbles upon that kind of gives us that consistency and that balance that just gives us enough in the last 10 games or so to get us over the line. And, and, you know, I've been quite worried for the last few weeks because I haven't seen what it is. Um, you know, we haven't had the kind of the Coquelin coming from nowhere or the Bellerin coming from nowhere or, you know, dropping Chesney and Vermaelen a few years ago and just, um, throwing everything out and starting again and building from the back. Like we haven't seen any of that. And uh, I, I wonder if this midfield three, I think it's definitely worth another look or two over the next few weeks. And, and, you know, maybe that could be it this year. Um, not saying it definitely will be, but it, it was the first time in a long time, um, you know, bar the Southampton game, I thought 
yeah, th this looks like a functioning unit. It looks like more than the sum of its parts. Yeah, and that in and of itself is a massive improvement. Um, I will say you are welcome on the pod anytime as long as you're going to drop begats on us. Um, I enjoyed that thoroughly. Uh, I, I don't disagree with much of what you said. <clears throat> the only thing I disagree with, I guess, is if you presume that Alexis Sanchez could theoretically retake his center forward role um, in a lineup like what we started, then Ozil could slot into that left wing role, right? And yeah. and have yeah. a bit of a free role from the left. And I, I think that might actually be even more dynamic and more effective. Uh, Giroud, well, not bad. Uh, spurn some chances and chances that maybe are a little harder than people give him credit for. Uh, I don't want to get stuck into Giroud because he's always kind of been a favorite of mine. So we can uh, we can leave that. But Paul, I, I definitely I, think that. Sorry, I definitely think that Ozil can slot in on the left wing there. I just don't necessarily think he wants to do that. Well, I don't necessarily think he wants to play another game for Arsenal. <laughs> so it's it's come see come saw. You know, a little of this, a little of that. Uh, Paul, I, I think one of the things that's interesting is it looked like it was going to be Welbeck, Alexis, and Walcott. And Welbeck got ill in the warm-up. Um, and we can only pray that it wasn't a case of the contractitis that is sweeping through the squad. It appears that Oxlade-Chamberlain got it sometime during the match, um, maybe communicated from Sanchez. But my question to you is, did you find it odd that instead of replacing Welbeck with Lucas, uh, it was Giroud who was preferred when that seems tactically not as consistent. Yeah. Um, I mean, it, it is a little bit of a puzzling one, especially for, uh, I think it's a, a, a growing and bigger and bigger group that that is drawn to Perez as a starting option, and yet he's not getting that option. Um, I mean, you know I paid off Arson to win our bet, right? Like, you are fully it, aware of that. You are like the pettiest person I've ever met. I've got to say that. <laughs> oh, and and I'm far pettier than even that. Yes. <laughs> yeah, we haven't scratched the depths. I understand no. that. Um, I mean, you, you, on by the, the way, other you hand, scratch surfaces, you plumb depths. I mean, if we're going to have a guy on here dropping begat, we should we should at least get that right. Goodness me. Keep so, going. yeah. Um, I, I mean, so the, here's what I'd say about the lineup. Um, kind of. Uh, reverse engineering it if you wanted a performance we got it if you wanted a first half until the obligatory uh inexplicable red card by some obscure referee in the champions league against a big team that we really never had any chance against unless we had some luck you know uh this was a pretty good performance and so you can't you can't really critique it, but I, I see where you're going in terms of the lineup. Um, well, it's just a know, head scratcher. It, I didn't think they, it, it they pl played poorly. It just seems to me no. that if you say as the manager, this is the yep. lineup I'm going to put out, and then Welbeck gets ill, and you say I need to replace him while keeping the tactical uh, shape and approach that I had in mind, to me that would mean you, you swap Lucas in because I see him as being at least a little more fungible with respect to Welbeck than, than Giroud. That was my point. Not so much that it then killed yeah. our performance. It, it tells you he was pretty much touch, on go, touch and go on whether Giroud should play or not, so he wasn't a million miles away from playing. I think, uh, you, you know, the the other thing is that Welbeck is pretty comfortable on the left wing, and while I like Perez from the left, 
Um, maybe the manager preferred thought Sanchez was the more natural impact player from from the left. Yeah. Uh, given that he had committed to Walcott on the right, um, and he wanted goals, so um, you would think uh, Perez obviously has it in him. But he, you know, Walcott wasn't going to come off the field, um, so he went with three, you know, out and out goal scorers. So whatever chances we got, we were going to take. Mm-hmm. Maybe he was a little surprised that we had that much possession as well. He might have thought, um, you know, he had a team who could get crosses in. Um, and certainly with with uh, the Ox in midfield um, and the chance that he'll end up, you know, pushing out to the wing a little bit when in position and you had Walcott putting in crosses from the right and Sanchez is very good on standing on the ball and putting crosses into Giro. It was just another way to get at them, but I do agree it it completely changes what you think's going to happen in the box once you swap say Sanchez for for Giro. So it was an odd one. Yeah, and um, I mean look, to me it just it continues to I say confirm the narrative that Arson isn't as much about stylistic tactics or approach as much as he is about picking the players he trusts on the day. And he says, I need goals. And so he picks Giroud over Lucas with less consideration for whether that changes tactically what your intentions are. Um, I think, yeah, I I also think it maybe says it, obviously there's the issue with Sanchez, but to the point of trusting people, Although he was going to start with them, he doesn't trust him at the moment. He doesn't know what he's going to get out of him. So it wasn't that. Somehow there's a part of him that doesn't find it that hard to push Sanchez out to the wing where he's not as dependent on him personality-wise. Let me me stay with you just for a second. Quick word. I mean, Theo Walcott was pretty inspired, I thought. Uh, he, He got a great goal, and he played really well, at least for those, you know, for those first 45 minutes when... He played angry. He did. So, I mean, what is it that coaxes this out of a Theo Walcott? Is it that the Champions League or big clubs give him more room to operate? I mean, is that principally why he's kind of gotten this reputation for being a big club player for us? Because the bigger clubs play in a manner that suits the space he needs to thrive? For sure. I mean, I mean, he had, it wasn't just the one chance. He had another identi- near identical chance, I think, in the same half. He had other opportunities. Well, he should have won a penalty, times. right? Should have won a penalty. There were a couple of times he kind of, he he had a nice run in midfield and then maybe tripped over the ball when uh, about to be tackled or you know a couple of classic <clears> little <throat> Theo moments. But he definitely had his chances to run at them, and yeah. I think that's right. I think it's you, you don't get that so much if you've got a you're facing a Burnley and you got ten men behind the the ball. Um, um, so, but it was a game that suited him. He was up for it. Uh, for, for all the talk about his mentality, and uh, you know, you can. T- there are times when that's fair. Uh, when you look at a time like this, a tough time like this, you know, he's it, it, his uh, maybe Theoness, the fact that he is kind of, in some ways, he's quite a simple soul. I mean, for all the talk about him being a contract rebel and Theo only playing in a contract year, you know, it, you gotta take a little step back and say these are tough times uh arson could do with a few people fucking swinging for him and keeping keeping it simple and uh being a club player uh, i i don't want to get too carried away with it but you know theo's been a pretty helpful 
member of the squad the, these last few Absolutely. weeks. Absolutely. Look, I, the, the one thing I will say is that I, I think Arsenal fans have been sold this notion of squad harmony and the importance of squad harmony, and we are as apt to evaluate our players, like them, and rate them based on how harmonious they seem to make things at Arsenal and less about what they put in on the pitch. That's not to say that Theo doesn't put things on the pitch, but like, I think there was less outrage over him jumping over that tackle last year than there is about a rumor of someone getting into a bust-up at a training ground. We'll get into that momentarily, but I want to get over to you, Tim. Um, now that we seem to have finally found the position that suits uh, Oxlade-Chamberlain, after so many uneven performances on the wing where we were really questioning why he's still getting chances... Uh, we see him thriving in midfield. So my question to you is, do you think that's where Jose will deploy him at United next season? <laughs> um, no. I, th- I think uh, Alex Oxlade-Chamberlain has um, a, a fairly active agent, um, should we say. And I think, you know, the fact that, again, five, I think four or five different publications last night were carrying this old Chamberlain's going to leave, he wants to leave. Um, you know, on the back of, you know, and, and the story, the story read really strange. It was just like, oh, he thinks it's time for a change. He doesn't get enough regular football. Well, he, he does get quite no, regular football. No, that's insane. Football. I mean, not, that's what surprised me and, too, Tim, is he's been given chances you could argue he didn't deserve just to keep him playing yeah. personal. Yeah. And then, and then there's this whole thing about, well, he hasn't actually been offered a contract yet. And it's a bit like, well, if that's true then it's not him turning a contract down, then, is it? Right. This is where you have to have some sympathy for Arson, right? Like, I mean, he plays him when you could argue he probably shouldn't have been, and the manager gets kicked in the ass for playing a player who's kind of out of form and not performing, and then uh, he starts to come into a little bit of form after the manager has faith in him, and there are rumors that he's off. It's like yeah, you yeah. can't win. But but that wasn't really the, the the main point. I just wanted a chance to get into that funny joke at the beginning. So the main point is that he is playing well there, and I just wanted to get your feeling of his performance in midfield in this particular match and if you think that he will become a midfield regular for the rest of what is the burning wreckage of our season. Um, I, I think he might do, yeah. I think Arsene might keep him going there um, for a little while. I think you know he'll want to manage Ramsey uh, fitness-wise which he's been trying to do, you know, for much of the last 18 months and Ramsey's still been getting injured. So I think, you know, we we might see some of um, the Welbeck treatment for Ramsey where he'll come in for a game, he'll sit a game out, he'll sit on the bench, he'll play 60 minutes here, he'll play 90 minutes there. Um, but I, I think he might, I think he'd like to keep Oxlade-Chamberlain going um, in there and and yeah he is playing really well in there not flawless he's still sometimes a little bit careless with the ball and like I said his final ball is not always brilliant but um, weirdly you know, I, though I it seems to be better from midfield night. than from the wide position sorry yeah yeah it does it really does um, which, which you're right it is very strange I don't know if maybe he's got a touch of the Theos about him in terms of when he plays the ball first time his distribution tends to be very good when he doesn't think about it and it's just a snap, you know, got the ball, one touch, bang, it's gone. Um, that tends to be very good and maybe he's a bit like Theo in that it it goes to shit a little bit when he has to, when he has to put a bit more thought into it. Um, but, you know, his his style of running is is very, very useful from midfield um, and, it, and it's, you know, it it's the closest working impression that we probably have to someone like Cazorla, you know, 
um, who can just get us that extra 10, 15 yards up the pitch because he's able to he's able to kind of just switch feet and wriggle out of small little holes and Chamberlain can certainly carry the ball. I think it, it gives us a, a, a nice variety between him and Jacker because Jacker's capable of basically they're both able to make the ball move quite quickly. Jacker does it with his distribution because he's able to, you know, ping those those long passes from deep and Chamberlain's able to carry it um, effectively. And I, I think that's an interesting combination. And, um, you know, Granite Jacker looks much, much better with more mobile players oh, next yeah. to him. So, yeah. you know, look at how much better he looks with Elneny compared to Coquelin. Um And, you know, Chamberlain's got, if he hasn't got, you know, the quote-unquote, quote, bite of Coquelin, um, he's he's pretty good, you know, at, at doing that thing where if a player miscontrols a ball, he's on them quite quickly. You know, his, obviously his defensive instincts aren't hugely keen, but I think in that kind of moment, if a player shows a bit of hesitation on the ball, I think he's quite he's quite quick. Um, you know, basically he's a reactive player. Um, is Chamberlain? He's not he's not a thinker. You know, he's a he's more of a doer, um, and and that I think that that suits us quite well. You know, I'm not. I'm not saying I think that this is it, and Chamberlain will play there for the next ten years, and Jacker and Chamberlain is, you know, um, is is the next thing in our central midfield. I just think it might be the thing that gets us over the line, and then maybe we do this thing every year where we get to the summer and go, right, that got us over the line. Now what do we do? And then we spend um, three quarters of the season not really knowing until we stumble on something else that does it for ten games. So whether you know that's that's like the real long-term solution, I'm not sure. I'm convinced, um, but I think it might be. It it's got a better chance of being enough than anything else that we have available. Yeah, I I agree with that, and I think it even Arsene Wenger, who seems to be either Francis Coughlin's biggest fan or possibly a close relative, uh, even he has to see at this point that. Coughlin's usefulness has has been exhausted and that that usefulness while it may have been limited you know some of us think it wasn't quite as uh as good as as advertised others of us think that he was useful for a period but regardless of where you come down on that it seems clear that he is no longer providing us the the contribution we need from him maybe because of how he's been deployed this season doesn't suit his strengths but i think also if you spend 35 million pounds or so on granite shaka you cannot afford to partner him with someone who while not only being limited seems to reduce granite shaka to a quivering red card mess waiting to happen so you know when you talk partnerships that's one that just does not work so you have to start to play to the strengths of the guy you you bought for all that money who's 24 years old uh paul your thoughts on Ox in midfield, and will he displace your beloved Francis Coughlin? Uh, hopefully. I mean, he, I always – people will have me down as – No, uh, to your somebody. credit, you said he wouldn't be your first. Uh, let's give you credit where no. it's due. You defended Coughlin against some of what you consider to be extreme criticism, but you always believed that there were better options. Yeah, uh, and what I guess the only time I, I saw him being a first-team – or a, a starting eleven guy was early on in the season because the manager knew what he could get out of him, and because he had people to partner with. You know, um, if you look at the first third of the season, you know half his games were alongside Santi, and that worked. Now their configuration was a little different. Um, we wanted to see how he would work with other people, 
um, which were of diminishing levels of return. But it, it was kind of a functional way of getting results. And, and we went from losing the, you know, losing the first game and draws against teams we shouldn't have had to actually getting right back in the game. And let's face it, we were basically neck and neck for the top of the table at one point. But what I think what you're looking for is a jumping off point, And we never really had that where Coquelin went kind of like a booster rocket when you're uh, launching something off to the moon. You, you it's metaphor waiting time, for, folks. Yep. <laughs> you, were waiting for, you were waiting for the uh, the rocket, the, the uh, rocket jets to fall off and the ship to head off. But the rocket jets stuck on way past the, what we would have said were their their uh, useful life. So he's, um, you know, we didn't try, we didn't find another partnership that worked nearly as well with him, which is not too surprising. Uh, but it's really a statement that we didn't find another pairing of anybody that worked. And then suddenly, you know, I guess I was grasping at straws a few weeks back saying Ainsley Maitland-Niles is too young and isn't ready, but man, is he the right player to stand beside um, Chaka if he pans out to what we think he could be. Um, and in the meantime, Ox has come up. And uh, I'd like to echo Tim's point on the Santi Cazorla comparison. I mean, it's kind of crazy in a way because on paper they have not that much in common. But the one thing he has that Santi doesn't is when he does that little jink and he, he gets free, he stays free. Now, nobody really catches Santi either because he's so quick with the ball at his feet. But, I mean, when Ox streaks up the middle of the pitch for 10, 15 yards, you know, whoever he beats stays well beat. And well, he has that explosion, he, even more so he than, does. than yeah. I mean, than Santi does. And that's why, you know, you could see him being a, a wide player. But in midfield, if you can develop yeah. those skills and the, the intelligence for it, uh, you can really explode past people. You know what? It, it's more, I think you could compare him more to Rosicki in that respect. Um, yeah. Rosicki could but, beat but, a guy and then burst past him. I, I'm going to stop you just for a second, Paul, because uh, your microphone is doing the thing it does. Where it really? So I, I want to stay Sorry. with you. Um, so is that something you think you can fix while I go on one of my, like, 20-second rambles? Sure. Okay. I'm going to do that then. Um, so I think as bad as this loss looks in final adjudication – it becomes a very valuable moment in our season if you can look at that Shaka Ramsey Oxlade Chamberlain trio and say we are better with a three-man midfield. We can control the game more. We can get more out of Granite Shaka because this partnership doesn't expose his weaknesses and allows us to emphasize his strengths. There's still room for Ozil if there is still a mess at Ozil at the club. If we want to use him in one of those wide forward positions and then give him a little free reign uh, and move Alexis back into the center forward position where I'm sure he's itching to get back to if he's itching to play at all. Um, so there's something here. This The worrying part of losing 5-1 in a game where these shoots of recovery first appeared is that they may be lost in the aftermath. And in the crumbling wreckage of a 5-1 loss, the manager and the squad may not take those positives and that he may feel he has to revert back to what he trusts because it just may obscure it. Now, my hope is Arsene Wenger is obviously a very intelligent man, a very analytical man, and he will see the good that came out of this match and hopefully carry it forward. Paul, I, I want to ask you about the second half if you have corrected uh, your little vibrator issue. Have you corrected that? Uh, how's my audio now? 
it is superior audio now. So let me ask okay. you this. Look, the referee, again, appalling. And I, I think it is hilarious that we the went from... travesty. Tra- travesty. Can, can, yeah. can I add a quick yeah. point before you get to your point? Contrast that to the fucking penalty that... Swa- you no, know, no, no, we're no, in no, a no. similar you, situation you, with Suarez. You're stealing my thunder. I'm supposed to be the comedic guy here. And I was going to go on about spiritual links and, and how we, even if we aren't playing Barcelona, we're linked to Barcelona because we're denied two penalties. We're given a penalty we shouldn't have. And they come back and win with penalties that were questionable. Yes, there is no question that... that Fucking tragedy. It, it's it's horrible, Paul. It is horrible, and there's no defending it. But you are forced to... I mean, look, there will never be a miscarriage of justice like Van Persie being sent off at the new camp, ever. Fuck. I mean, I, if I live to be a 1,000, there will never be a worse red card. Um, but you're down to 10 men. You're level 1-1. One, one. The tie was dead at kickoff, so it's certainly dead now. <laughs> is Is it... One of those things where you say, well, who honestly, who cares if we lose 10 to 15 to 19 to 22 on aggregate? It's not like the goals carry over. Or do you have to question a squad that when it loses can't help itself but be embarrassed? We, I mean, we only ship nine goals with Koscielny off the pitch in this tie. So where do you come down on that? Do you yeah. shrug the shoulders or, or is there something more when you, when you continue to allow yourself to be embarrassed? Look, there's probably a very valid point on that side when you look at Arsenal over the last few years. But I just don't, I just don't think it's fair in this game. Uh, I think it's a lot fairer, fairer in the last tie when we were still in the tie and we collapsed. Uh, now, we weren't down to 10 men, but we lost Koscielny and we started to come apart of the seams. When we went down 2-1 and 3-1, we should have just shut up shop. Uh, this time round, I'm like, fuck it. Uh, I mean, it doesn't fucking matter. Yeah, we're a, la- a laughing stock, but who gives a fuck? Fuck them all. Uh, in I th- I think Wenger. You know, I watched his presser for the next game, and um, I think he handled himself very gracefully and very well. He's doing the best he can uh, under fire. I'll give doing him that. the best he can. I, I would say and he's doing better these last few press conferences under extreme yeah. fire than he was earlier in the season. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, and, and maybe that speaks to something. You know, we could talk about more politically. Maybe that has a. Uh, an onerous overtone that he's so, if you like, calm and balanced about it. But uh, there's a part of me where I'd love to him to have said against those who asked the question you just asked, it doesn't fucking matter. We went for it. Uh, Here's the irony. I was at a conference. uh, It may not seem like much of an irony at this point. I was at a conference watching this game at an exhibit standing on a booth uh, talk, talking to people coming to the booth but not giving them much attention because my laptop was turned to me as I watched the travesty unfold. I work for a German company. The three people on the stand with me are Germans and are Bayern Munich supporters or at least w- were for the day. One of them was a heavy Bayern supporter and uh, his whole thing was once you went down to 10 men you should have got defensive and my immediate reaction was why the fuck? Why should we? What was the fucking point? Now, everybody's different, and it's important to the morale of the club, and we got the season, and you don't want to be a laughingstock, but not me. That's not how I think I would react to it as a player, as a manager. If it looks stupid, I don't fucking care. I'll wear a fucking pink dress and run in a 10K for charity. I think I can live with the fact that we got fucking reamed in the second leg. 
the fact that it looks like a pattern from previous years, well, the issue is with previous years. The fact that we were 10-2 was not really about the second leg, which was a fucking travesty. It was about the first leg. So people want to laugh, fuck them. Uh, I think within the morale of the team, there are other issues. The second leg won't be the reason we feel bad about ourselves. So yeah. I say fuck them. Yeah, I mean, look, I, I am inclined to mostly agree. I, I think there are ways you can still kind of be playing the match and not ship four more goals. I yeah. think being mad about the referee makes us want to be defiant and say, screw everybody. You know, we, 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 it, we were robbed anyway, but there are still actual football players on the pitch who shipped four more goals. Like, it just, you know. There are. Uh, the only thing I'd say is there are ways of doing it. There are other teams who would be better at doing it. That You know, they could have kind of used it as a tactic, but. We don't have those gears. We kind of have the yeah, two modes. And I get it. I, I think there's also a point to be made that like games don't have to exist in isolation. Like If we're going to say there's positives to be taken from this in the three-man midfield that we can carry forward, I yeah. think you can say there are positives to being compact after you go down to 10, keeping it to 1-1, saying, you know what? We held Bayern. It's a step in the right direction. We were robbed. We dominated the match before the sending off, and we can hold our heads up about at least what we did in ho at home in front of our, our fans. And, oh, by the way, maybe we learned a little bit about how to stay compact and organized and defend um, in those last 30 minutes, and we can use that to benefit us the rest of the season so i think we could have been a bit less naive but <laughs> that is that is i mean you might as well just have that season. as auto tweet yeah i mean yeah um but the other thing is i can't imagine wenger wasn't rattled i yeah, mean i get it I, no, look. if i were smart enough to be our manager uh, i'd have been fucking rattled i mean you know, no, we're punch all punch the referee right in his mouth. I mean, it's hard yeah. not, to, not to get furious to about Wenger, it. This happens every fucking time he plays Bayern or Barcelona. Fair he's enough. Got it doesn't got really matter when it's 5-1, yeah. you know, or 5-2. But, okay, look, let's get to the macro no, stuff. But you're, going to, you're going to be rattled, right? Another fucking red card. Of course. Just, just like we're fucking But you know rattled. what? Again, the players don't have to be. Look, we can go back and forth on this forever. It, it is, in the scheme of things, not that important. But, Tim, there are some macro issues that we should get to, and I think they're really important because our season is on the brink. It really is. Now, the good news is with Lincoln coming up at the weekend, it is a chance to get to a Wembley semifinal the easiest way possible and maybe at least sprinkle some seeds of goodwill back over this club. But the, the, it's hard to even know what news to get to since we last spoke. There's so much of it. I guess we have to get to Sir Chips Keswick, if that is his real name, um, basically releasing a statement about the manager and, and the manager yeah. having some words about his future. And this is really... We're sort of through the looking glass now. This is really the first time we've been here, and it is starting to feel and sound like he's going to go, and th that the club feels sort of backed into this corner of addressing it. Um, I think you can go back to, and this was well said on the Arscast Extra, and by the way, Clive is not here because he's going on the Arscast, so uh, kudos to him. Well, it's kind of like moving from that basement apartment to the penthouse, so you know, good for him. But um, He only moved in. Tim, Tim is now a regular. He, he just me. comes down here and visits the basement because we have like a, a an Xbox or something. Um, <laughs> but so, Tim, I mean, what did you make of the statement and what that adds to the building narrative of Arsene Wenger possibly leaving this summer? Um, I, you know, I, I'm I'm no PR expert. I didn't really see the 
point of the statement. It didn't really say anything. I think any statement that has the word aware or awareness in it is completely pointless. Like a, awareness has become one of, one of these words. It's like the non-apology you know, apology, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. It's one of these words that people say that doesn't actually really mean anything. Like, um, oh, we raised awareness. Well fucking done. What does that mean? What does that actually do? Um, and, you know, we are aware of, well, you know, I, I'd be shocked and surprised if you weren't, quite frankly. And, you know, I oh, will do whatever at the end of the season. Well, yeah, we know that. We've known that for a long time because that's pretty much always what happens. Um, I mean, I, I I don't know. You know, I'm, I'm sure that there are much smarter people about this kind of thing at, at Arsenal than I and... You know, I don't think the statement was probably aimed at me or people like me. What I'm guessing is that they were just like, look, we hear you, but it's not, you know, like with protests and, you know, infighting and people chanting and holding up banners in the stadium and stuff. They're probably just like, look, we hear you, but it's not going to make any fucking difference. <laughs> so um, don't waste your time. And, you know, not not just in a dismissive way, but you know, not, not, this is all on hold, basically, until the end of the season, so get behind the team kind of thing. I, I gather that that's what, they, what they're going for. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I, I think it's it's quite clear that Arsenal's time is coming to an end. It, it's always, always, for the duration of this contract, it has always been about how much fucking flack he's going to be getting. That's, you know, he how many times has he given us that signal? Um you know, he, he didn't sign his last contract until after the whole game. And that tells you that if we'd have lost, he wouldn't have signed. And not because he doesn't think he's good enough. Um, he clearly, you know, he's too smart to stake his entire impression of his own ability on one game. It tells you that, God, if we if we lose that, I, you know, I, I, can't, I can't put up with what's going to come afterwards. Yeah. And, you know... What's he said? This contract, I'll I'll see in March or April. What does that mean? Um, that doesn't mean I think I'll be a bad manager by March or April. That means how much fucking shit am I? How much shit do I have to eat, basically? And I th- I think we've come to a stage now where, you know, I, I I said on this podcast after I think the Man City game really for him to sign a new contract, he was going to have to have a respectable performance against Bayern and, you know, a couple of wins at the likes of Stamford Bridge, White Hart Lane, Anfield. There's only one of those things left now. And that's, you know, winning the North London derby will be great if we if we can do it, but it's not going to be enough to save his job. He- I don't even think finishing second and winning the FA Cup is going to turn around this this tide of negativity and and I I think it's it's clear now and I think he probably knows that I don't get me wrong I think it it scares him um, because he's you know he, he loves this he's obsessed with it but I think you know some of his statements quite pointed he said today in his press conference that you know the protests make up a part of it he said a couple of weeks ago you know I'll be managing here or somewhere else and that's the first time I've ever heard yeah. him, you know, put up the bat signal that he might be available because PSG are hiring. <laughs> well, indeed, indeed, and and I see that happening. And I think what that was about was, um, you know, this is probably coming for an end to me at Arsenal, but I can't bear to take time off. I want another job 
straight away. So that was him putting the bat signal in the sky and saying, I might be available. Um, so, you know, come and get it kind of thing. Yeah. I, I, th- I think it will be an absolute wrench for him. Um, but I, I, I think all the signs point to um, him going in the summer. And, and you know, I, I, I think he should, really. Yeah, look, I mean, so so many issues here, but the the principal one among them is I can't help but feel that some of the ugliness that is developing now is a bit of the club's own making. I mean, from yeah. the statements about the fans will decide the manager's future to the being mum on his future to the fact that even rational fans who adore Arson but think maybe it's time to go, like, Tim, yourself, and I suspect Paul as well, and certainly myself, all of us adore Arsene Wenger, the man and the manager for all he's been, but I think it is a a travesty, a sham, a mockery, a travesham mockery, if you will, that the future of this club might literally be in flux until May. That if he navigates us to top four finish and maybe he gets a, a, a Ozil contract extension or re-signing and we get into the FA Cup final, that he feels he can announce he's staying and have put enough goodwill in the bank with that, that that he could stay on. I mean, you can see that that may still be open for discussion. And, and that fact alone means that you... We, you know, we we cannot plan for the future, and with a club that has been so determined or, or so uh, so identified by Arsene Wenger and his decision making at every level for so long, I mean, we need more time than most clubs to prepare for his departure, and it looks like we're going to have less, and that is really the concern. And Tim, I, if you can, really quickly, because I want to get back to Paul, but just really quickly, mm. um, I, I know the the protests and and the. And, antipathy and the antagonism now that is coming from a section of the support must be very difficult for you given your admiration uh for for Arsene Wenger are you starting to have not sympathy for it but at least a modicum of understanding that the situation that has developed is just natural for this kind of response from the fans that that um no matter what you think of Arsene Wenger and and certainly he does not deserve abuse but that the way this situation has been handled has kind of backed a section of the support into this kind of behavior? Yeah, maybe. I mean, I, you know, people are entitled to do what they want. I, I, you know, kind of deep down, I still think, I don't know, um, I'll get shit for saying this, but I still think it's a little bit, um, look at me, this is my opinion on this, and it's become a bit catwalky um, over, over the last kind of couple of years. Um, but, you know, I mean, I think Look, it's horrendous. I just day. don't. I don't enjoy seeing it. But I, you know, I mean, no. different people express themselves in different ways, and you can avoid Indeed. this kind of thing through better planning and communication at some level. Indeed, indeed. I, I think really, it's it's just not for me, basically. But that's fine. Um, people are entitled to do what they want. Um, but yeah, I, I do get. I think because the thing that's happening, first of all, you know, Gazidis a few a few years ago said the words he's accountable to the fans. So, you know, that lights the blue touch paper that, you know, that that puts the ball in everyone's court. And, you know, because of this perception as well, um, well, I don't think it's a perception. It's, you know, that, that we've got an absentee owner and a board that, you know, are basically just sitting there and banking on Arsene Wenger staying. And it, it really... Um, it kind of yeah it really puts the ball in the court of the supporters if you're you know if you've got uh, a board or an owner that's really engaged and you think yeah this is a bit shit but they'll probably step in and either 
you know, hold the manager to account or replace him or, or whatever, um, then this kind of thing doesn't build up. But I think what, you know, a lot of fans are seeing is if I, you know, if I don't take this out on the streets kind of thing, nothing's going to get done about it. Um, and, and so, yeah, I, I, can, I can see it. I, I absolutely can. And, I, you know, it doesn't stop me thinking what I think about it. And it doesn't stop me thinking it's a massive shame. But um, I don't really think the club have got anyone to blame but themselves. Yeah. I mean, that that's kind of where I come down on it. I, I think there's a real question of where we go from here, and we can get to that in a minute. But, Paul, I just want to quickly get your thoughts. I mean, the manager probably going. I assume you're probably in the camp that it's it's time. Um, but there are other issues here, and that's comings and goings with players too. The Mesodozone Alexis Sanchez situations are murky at best. Um, I don't buy for a second that Mesodozo was ill, and you know we will never know. But with respect to Alexis, it's clear that there was a breakdown, um, that there were some issues, and he has he is being painted. And I would say by the club, I think I think the club are briefing on this. He is being painted as public enemy number one, and they are preparing to make him the bad guy in this situation. So I wanted to get your opinion. Um, of the Alexis Sanchez controversy or controversy, uh, and and are you team Arson here or are you team Alexis? I'm definitely team Arson and team the club on this. I don't think they're painting him anything. Uh, that's not that hasn't been Arsenal's mo for a long time. Um, I think it is what it is, and they can't hide it. I think they'd love this shit to go away. Uh, I think they'd love this problem to be a problem for the summer. This is you, you don't put fuel on a fire like this at this stage in the season. Um, so I think it's coming from, as far as I'm concerned, it's all Alexis's side. Now he he might have legitimate gripes in terms of how he's been used by the club or or uh, you know the people he's had around him on the football field not being the quality or you know, the, the lack of a tactical um, plan within the, the uh, Arson's thinking for the last couple of, you know, he may have some very valid reasons to be frustrated about how it's impacted uh, his career, and that's why he's making noises to go elsewhere. But in terms of the politics of the moment, I think that's all Alexis throwing his toys around. Um, what has he done wrong? Uh, I think what he has done wrong is his interactions within the squad. He's fucking up the dressing room. Okay, see, I, I think that's great. I want more of that, personally. Like, I think if the dressing room is harmonious when your team is playing like shit and not achieving what it should with the talent it has, then I think someone has to rumble the dressing room. But like, They do, but if they do it wrong, or if they're the star player... Uh, kind of like Van Par- Percy when he started throwing his toys around the summer of the season he, he left. You know, he, he was okay. He had the professionalism, you could say, to keep his shit together during the season, even though there were sparks flying. And it brought us to a greater result. The, uh, the gripe I've always had elec- against Alexis, and the reason I didn't like him last year, is Alexis plays for him fucking self. Um, and don't they all? But it's a question of degree. I don't think he's ever, you know, when you hear him talk about London, he doesn't talk about it in the same way living there uh, as other players who've come to live in the city. He sounds like he 
doesn't really want to be there. He, he, to me, he's he's just about left Barcelona. Um, now, he might have some very valid reasons for his frustrations at Arsenal, but uh, to me, uh, and neither of us can prove any side of this, but the issue for me is Alexis uh, has never really bought in, and certainly not over the last two years. I don't. I appreciate how he's played when things were going well this year. I thought he was fucking stellar. But as he saw the season unraveling, uh, he lacked the kind of professionalism. If he wants to kick up a fuss in the dressing room, that's great. It's a question of degree. You push it too far, you break things. And this team's this team is broken in a way I haven't seen our squad broken for for years. And you can say we needed more of this and we needed less harmony. And, you know, that that's a very fair point. But you can fucking break things, and this team's broken. Yeah. I mean, I'm going to go on a rant here in a second. Um, but because they are intolerable and people might just turn the podcast off, I want to give Tim a chance to answer this prior to them uh, taking out their headphones and throwing their phone out the window of their moving vehicle. So, Tim, uh, where do you fall on the Alexis fallout, so to speak? <laughs> um yeah, the, the, the column went out a few hours ago, and uh, and uh, and I addressed this in in quite so, uh, quite can, some can, length. Can you give me the TLDR <laughs> version? <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So basically, um, we don't actually know what happened. All we know is that something happened, and that that's actually quite dangerous. And that's why you know I agree with Paul. This hasn't come from the club, and actually, the journalists that carried the story are adamant it doesn't come from the club. Because it's so light on detail, all we know was that there was a bit of a, you know, a contretemps on the training ground. We don't know what caused it. We don't know whose fault it was. We don't know if, you know, Alexis was just being, you know, a bit of a winner and Arsene didn't want his delicate little children, you know, being being upset by this, this display of coarseness. We don't know if Alexis was really totally unspeakably out of order. Um, and really, really deserved some punishment. We don't know any of these things. We just know there was an incident. And the problem with that is that leaves you a lot of gaps to fill in. And your, you, you know, your kind of biases creep into the gap. So if you think, and, and I kind of do think this, that you know, Arsenal is has become a bit of a soft environment. Um, then those are that those are the gaps you're going to fill in. You're going to say, well, it's because Alexis is this great winner and. Everyone else is like just a big baby at Arsenal, or if True. you're, you know, if you've got this kind of, you know, if you come down on the side of Team Wenger, it's like, well, you know, Alexis is a diva and he throws drops and all of this. We don't know any of that stuff. We don't know any of it. We so just was it handled properly then? I, I mean, was, I don't think you no. can defend that, right? There's no defending no. the half measure. See, I mean, that even if your team was it handleable though. Well, no. What, what, I, what I mean is, sorry. Let, let me just clarify so, so that you know where I'm going. With this. Dropping him to the bench for a half and then asking him to put yeah. on the cape and rescue you is like the ultimate no. climb down from taking a position of superiority or a moral Indeed. superiority. And, and the phrase I used in the article was that Wenger lost the spin war um, here. If, if you look at how um, Allegri handled this with Benucci at Juventus, he dropped him for a Champions League game and he told everyone, I'm dropping him because he's been a pain in the arse. Hugely important player, big game. He said, no, dropping him, he's misbehaved. Uh, Tuchel did it with um, Aubameyang back in November. Again, Champions League game, he said, no, he's been a pain in the arse and dropping him for disciplinary reasons. He made it clear. There's another way of dealing with it. 
which uh, Conte did with Costa. He said, no, he's injured. Um, was he bollocks? He was not injured. But, you know, you take a little bit of the sting out of it. You're right, going with this halfway house, if Alexis is guilty of a bit of attitude at London Colney, do you think this has put him in his place? If it's done the, Surely it's done the opposite. Surely, you know, Alexis has taken some lumps sitting on the bench, um, you know, to be put back in his box. And then his manager has to call for him halfway through the game to say, oh, please bail us out of this horrible mess. If You know, if he has been strutting around the training ground like he owns the place, this is going to make it worse because... Yeah, much worse. If, yeah, yeah if, if he left him out altogether, then you can say, well, you're back in your box now. But doing this, you know, Alexis is going to go, yeah, I was right, I told you. You know, so, and again, here, here I am filling in gaps about things I don't really know about. But, um, you know, certainly in terms of the public and the media, you know, Wenger lost this big time. It's more than um, that. How it, how oh, it sorry, plays keep out going. on the training ground. We, we don't know and we probably won't know um, but yeah he, he isn't that the only thing that matters though and, and no. Wenger does have his own wit yeah I the think only thing is. that matters is winning period yeah but that wasn't going to happen this game well not this game yeah. but but he dropped him to the bench for Liverpool and, and so just really quickly Paul my argument would be you have to make a decision you have to say we can win without Alexis we must try to win without Alexis because I have to draw a line in the sand here that says he broke a rule that cannot be broken at Arsenal, and I, I'm going to put a team out that that can still win without him. But at the point at which you acknowledge, all right, we're down, and the only way to win is with Alexis, I mean, I'm repeating, Tim, but you've undermined the discipline you've tried to impose because you've basically yeah, but, said I'm willing to bigger, sacrifice my integrity for the win. The bigger manager would have dropped him and not play or played him, but the bigger man... Manager again would explain to Sanchez that because he didn't drop him for the whole game. That's the in a way that's the big thing to do. It's also the easy thing to do. A a, a manager who really trusts himself and doesn't feel he has to make this uh, kind of stomping around point could say to Sanchez, explain to Sanchez exactly what his thinking is, which is right now to cool things down. This is the eleven I want to start. I'm not trying to send you a big fucking message, Sanchez. Um, I'm not dropping you. We're not getting into a big standoff. Uh, we'll, we'll make our decisions in the summer. Uh, I want you to cool down a little bit, but I still want you involved. In fact, I'm going to use you in the second half. In fact, you may play the most important role in this game coming on after 70 minutes. You know, I wouldn't get away with that. But when Arsene Wenger fucking sits you down and tells you what he's thinking in, we can all give up on Arsene at this point and say that tactically he's not what he was. Check. Uh, Yeah, (laughs) that uh, the game has passed him by. Check. (laughs) But the one thing I'm sure none of us would say is that when Arsene sits down to talk to you, and talks to you man to man. When he sits down with Sanchez in his room, he's not going to scream. He's not going to throw his toys around. He's going to explain to Sanchez his thinking, his rationale. Sanchez is probably going to feel pretty fucking bad about the stupid shit he's been up to. He's going to apologize. He's going to think he has great respect for this guy. He loves the guy. 
and they're not going to do it the way other clubs do it. Now, I, I mean, I get, just, I get that, but I, I do think there's some wish casting there. I just do. I, I think you're projecting the way a certain who, type of person responds. Some, I mean, look, look at the excerpt from Ozil's book that came out and how he responded to Jose Mourinho tearing him a new one. Like, some people need to be torn yeah, apart that's, to respect that's, you. It, yeah, but that's if you're Jose, that's how you do it. That's if not how Arsene does it. I get it, but it may not work for Alexis. Yeah. It, it just may not. You know, so, some people can't manage some. I mean, you know, if you look, look at the players who've worked for Arsene, and despite how things ended up, they ended up loving him, no matter what the end of their story was. He, whether his winning Perez, his teams, though, his Lundberg, winning his teams policed right. themselves. Policed themselves. They they were not policed that, by Arsene, and they didn't issue. need to be. In terms, my point is the respect for the manager. And they've always maintained that because of how he deals with them one on one. And if there was one manager who explain, could explain to Sanchez why he was dropped but not dropped, why he was why he was cooling things down but playing them from the bench, I understand why all of us think you do one or the other. But trust me, when in my view, when Arson explains to a player his thinking. It ain't. It doesn't have to be a fucking Mourinho solution okay. or an Allegri solution. I, I get that. You, you, there are a lot of ways you can do it. I, if you guys there indulge me, there are a lot me, of ways you can do it. But, but that way, probably only an Arsene Wenger can can pull off. And and by the way, he didn't pull it off. Like well, he, he by didn't. the way, he did because he came on and Alexis was pretty good for. Oh, yeah, no, he, he pulled it off uh, if you consider that we the, looked better with him on the pitch. <laughs> I mean, then he, yeah, he, he pulled it off much much better. And in that sense. He did both things. He dropped him and made a point, which apparently we all think he needed to do. I, I um, don't. And he had him on the bench when he needed him. I would so, not have dropped him. You, no, you wouldn't. But you think Alexis is in the right, and you think the yes. club's coming up with you. So in your scenario, fine. But in my scenario where Alexis isn't in the right, and the club You think what they did was the up, appropriate answer. Then I yeah. think it was okay. a reasonable approach. Fair, fair enough. All right, look, look, so indulge me just for a minute. I, I just, Look, because I know we're getting yeah. near the hour mark, and people, well, I say people, the person listening to this podcast may be nearly, n- nearly at their rope's end. But if you guys don't mind, can I just give my, my 90 seconds on this? Um, so first of all, I, I would not have been star- Sanchez. But th- I think the first thing you have to do is you have to decide, did Sanchez do something? And, and we don't know this. Tim doesn't know it. Paul, you don't know it. I don't know it. Did Sanchez do something really bad? Something that had to be disciplined. And if he did, I think you have to make this a plant-the-flag moment. Stand for something and say publicly, in your press conference, Alexis Sanchez is is an extraordinary player and one that we are thrilled to have at Arsenal. He is a crucial player for everything this club wants to achieve. However, there are rules at this club, and Alexis is emotional, and he did break a rule. As a result, he's not going to play for us in the next game. This is something we do to have you know, rules and discipline at our team. And when we feel that that message has been received, Alexis will be welcomed back into this side. We know he's an exceptional player, but a team has to be made up of more than exceptional players. And you bench him, and he sees there are consequences, and that's it. You stand for something. Or you get out there and you say, we did have some emotional moments at training, and that's because we have emotional players who care very much. Alexis is among them. He is an absolute fighter. A man who fired in the last kick to win the Copa America, Copa, what is it, the, the Copa thing in South America. America. Yeah, Copa America for, for his country, a man who has won titles, and a man who we are thrilled to have at this club. He has been one of our most influential players this season and will continue to be so. 
and we will solve the issues in our dressing room, within our dressing room, and keep that within our family. But we are thrilled that we have players that care as much as Alexis. And as long as we have fighters and players that care as much as he does, we will go on to win things together as a team. And you start him out there at Anfield, and you go and you get three points. There are those two ways to deal with it. And I do think the half measure is a fail. I don't think it stands for anything. Um, but that, again, that's just my opinion. Now, as far as whether Alexis deserved to be disciplined, I don't think so. I think you can say he's a selfish player. At the end of the day, he creates more chances and has more assists for this club than anyone, including Ozil, this season. He is a provider. We saw that when he came on against Liverpool, and he's a scorer of goals. He makes mistakes. All our players make mistakes. But if you look at the quick job that the 11 players did in the first half against Liverpool, that's the kind of attitude problem I want to hear about. I want to understand why 11 players went out and just gave up on each other for 45 minutes. Because whatever you think of Alexis, and he may be a bit of a, of a prick, he may be a, a little bit of a firebrand who's hard to control, but... He doesn't go out and quit for 45 minutes. He doesn't go out and quit for two minutes. You can say, oh, he laughed on the bench when we were losing. <laughs> you shouldn't do that. Well, I'm sorry. You know, I laughed when we let in a fifth goal. And there are rumors he laughed at a, at a pitch invader. I mean, we, a photograph or a few seconds of video can turn anything into, you know, something worthy of the Nuremberg trials. But at the end of the day, as a footballer, because they are all pampered egomaniacs, you prove yourself on the pitch, and Alexis consistently does that. He gives the ball away, sure. When it comes to XG and XA, he's up there with anybody in world football, and he has been our best and most consistent contributor, despite the fact that for all of January, for no particular reason, Olivier Giroud became our center forward again, and he got sh shifted out to the wide positions. Um, he's frustrated. That doesn't give him carte blanche. Carte blanche. Uh, you, you never hear Sanchez complain about being played on All the right, left. Fine. Well, so so I, that fine. Throw that away. My uh, own per, I, my I own personal Elliot little agenda. It, fine. Fine. My agenda. Push it. Push it away. Forget it. The guy wants to be on the pitch. He gets upset being taken off against crap teams when we're dominating. I mean, that is really what he's about. And so ultimately, I don't think he's in the wrong. Okay, I think, but you can't have that one either because. All of us would say it's the manager's job not to play him in every game. Of course, I, I don't think he should, but but that's not my point. My point is, this is a guy who wants to play, who wants to fight for his team. I And, you know, at the end of the day, because we don't know everything and won't know everything, I will finish with this. So all football players are idiots. They're young, they're egomaniacs, they're pampered superstars. This guy came up with a pretty rough background. He's been through a lot. He's fought his way to where he is in the game. And managing at big clubs now, today, is about managing your superstars. You have two ways you can do it. You can pamper them. You can give in to them. You can show them that they're no better than any other player on the team. You can do it however you think works, but you've got to manage your superstars to win at the top level. And I think that Arsene Wenger is much more comfortable managing an Alex Awobi, managing a Francis Coughlin, guys who are talented and young and hardworking and fit in a team and like each other. And I think harmony is why we've got what got top four during the the banter era because he took this collection of fairly talented nice young guys and got them to buy into something together and all fight for each other but they were never good enough to get over the hump and now he's got some of these luminary talents these transcendent talents like Ozil and Alexis and I don't know that he wants to manage those guys as much as he wants to manage the Cochlins and and the Awobis of the world so you know I just I think that there is that pull going out the club and Tim I'll let you have sort of a last swing at that is that a fair viewpoint on modern football, on Arsenal, on the Alexis situation? Or have I just planted my flag where I want it to be planted because I'm frustrated by the manager? 
<laughs> you're basically getting uh, the, the verbal version of my column now. Oh, there um, you go. So, so basically, um, one of the things I argue is that footballers are not no- professional footballers are not normal, right? To to make it through the hundreds of thousands of ki- like millions of kids, whatever, or thousands in your neighbourhood that all play football to be the best in the playground to go and play for a team, be the best in the team. Um, you know, in England, you, you play for your county after that, to be the best in your county. You get picked up by an academy. You're the best, like, under 11, under 12, under 13. You go all the way up to the under, under 18s. You're the best. You're the best. You go into the reserves. You're the best. You come into the team. Like, your actual chances of making it are, are slim to none. We're talking about, like, a one percentile and that's just the people that make it to professional. So now split that even more to the guys that make it to the very top level. That's like 1% of the 1%. These are not normal, rational people. These are uber competitive individuals who put their bodies on the line. You have to retire as a footballer in your mid-30s, less than halfway through your life because of what it does to your body. So these are not normal people that make the decisions that you and I make. Um and, and, and neither are managers, by the way. A lot of managers are elite-level footballers who put their bodies through, you know, hell. And then when they're finished doing that, they become managers and put their brains through hell, even though they're perfectly comfortable enough to retire. So this is not a mix of normal, everyday, rational people. These people are, you know, they're, they're, they're kind of lunatics, really. And then you've got someone like Alexis Sanchez, who even in this company is considered, you know, mental, basically, <laughs> in terms of his desire and his physical output. He is he's he's a fucking loon. He's an absolute loon. A bit like Diego Costa is, a bit like And he's Cristiano about to win his Ronaldo second title is. in the Premier League. <laughs> yeah, and a bit like Roy Keane was as well. Roy you Keane's know, so a great I, shout, yep. I, I don't doubt for a minute they must be a nightmare to manage. Imagine managing like 25 guys like that anyway. And then you've got this guy like Alexis Sanchez, who even in the company of other, you know, not normal, irrational people is even by that gold standard, one step, two steps above that. I mean, it must be an absolute nightmare. But, you know, the best managers harness that that that's what elite level managers do that's what ferguson had to do with roy Keane all of those years and ferguson had and and Cantona and players like that ferguson had to eat some shit with roy Keane. to you this know, they day they hate each that. other <laughs> yeah and then the second Keane, you know got to a stage where the injuries were coming too much they they got rid of him they terminated his contract because he was such a bastard but he squeezed the best out of him and he made it work and I don't doubt for a second that that's really, really difficult and that must be a massive headache. And Conte with Costa in the middle of January agitating to go to China when they're 12 points clear at the top of the league, he must have thought, you dickhead, I want to kill you. Look look at what you've got here. Just hang on for another few months. But he dealt with it. And, you know, Costa's on the pitch and scoring goals and he's going to win the league and he'll probably go this summer. But... Conte's going to juice every last pip and seed out of him before he does, because that's the job. Um, so, yeah, I, I don't doubt that Alexis probably is a bit of a prick at training. Can't be worse than Van Persie. 
Yeah, he doesn't seem to have an awful lot of friends in football. He doesn't seem to really want a lot of friends in football, just like Ronaldo and Roy Keane don't and haven't. But, you know, really, you earn your money by harnessing these guys and saying, do you know what, I'll eat your shit a little bit if you're, you're producing for me on the pitch. And, yeah, I think, like you say, Alexis is producing on the pitch. So, obviously, that doesn't give him the right to to kind of shout the odds. But you've got to manage the situation and you know listen Paul, Paul may have a point Wenger maybe he has maybe he ha- maybe he's managed it perfectly maybe you know Alexis will stand down a little bit maybe he'll stop being a bit of a prick and and you know carry on playing as he's you know only time will tell on that I kind of suspect not but you know and, and we'll, to be honest we'll Tim I, I was really making a point really on the Liverpool game I, I, I don't disagree yeah. with you and Elliot overall that that Wenger now is not really suited to star star management. Uh, mm. But I mean, when we say footballers, there's plenty of, you know, Santi Cazorla, Koscielny. I don't know these guys, but mm. they're you know they're not lunatics. They be they be the kinds of players Wenger loves working with. So mm. when we you know they're not all the same. Um, but it's kind of to your point. It's it's the you know. It, in this day, at this level, your money's made on handling the Sanchez's of this world and now the Ozil's. Yeah. Um, and, and I think overall, I'd agree with maybe where Elliot went on this overall more than necessarily, say, the, the, the moment against Liverpool. But sorry. Yeah, and, and you know, a, a phrase really jumped out at me that Wenger said when he was, he was talking about this. He said, um, I bought Sanchez and I play him. And um, that that kind of to me said, you know, he said, look, I did my homework on this guy. Um, I knew he was probably going to be like quite difficult to manage. He bought Granite Jacker. He tried to buy Jamie Vardy. So while he has probably created this squad of nice boys, there is an element to which it looks like maybe he's trying to address that a little bit. And he's, point, he's, and, and Tim, how often has he talked about South American strikers, the kind of the yeah, animal yeah. instinct? So he, he's always wanted one or two in his team if and, they're and good look, enough. And look at who he's bought down the year. He's bought some right pricks. Like Van Persie had loads of problems. And Nelka, Sylvan Wiltord, Adebayor. These people came with terrible reputations. But he's Adebayor, never... fuck me. I mean, not only did he come with a terrible reputation, um, reputation he you know he generated it at the clubs and yeah you know, he didn't want to sell uh, amazingly he wasn't in a rush to sell out of Bior. you could say I mean, that all of those well. players were failures at arsenal with the exception of van percy who maybe stuck around long enough out just of Bior at 25 goals in that season well, no he? i i think he had 28 or something or over 30 one season yeah he had over he had 30 in all comps but i meant failures in terms of where you know their arsenal careers ended prematurely in part because they just didn't seem to want to stay at the club. I, look, well, let, let, you, you've been trying to finish a thought for a minute here, Tim, so why don't you finish <laughs> up? <laughs> yeah, and, and I, I think probably to sum up, my, my read on it is that a few years ago, he, he had this squad, like, full of arseholes, basically. Like, you know, Alex Song was a bit difficult. Uh, Bentner was difficult. Van Persie was difficult. Adebayor was difficult. And, you know, William Gallas was there. And, you Oof. know, this squad of fairly difficult individuals and and it wasn't a harmonious squad and they didn't get on. And I think possibly since then, maybe even subconsciously, he's thought, 
uh, do you know what? I, I'm I'm going to prioritise team harmony a little bit more. Even the Invincibles started to hate each other. Like Lauren and Vieira had a massive fight. Reyes and Omri fell out, you know, because they were big personalities, and it, it started to go a bit sour. So maybe, you know, Wenger kind of thought after that, well, why don't I I try and build something here, you know, where where people actually like each other, and and I can see the sense in that. Yeah. All right. Well, look, it's. It's not a pleasant situation, and I think if we are going to rescue this season, because top four is in the most jeopardy I think it has ever been in. We've been in worse positions point-wise, but I don't think we've ever been in such a challenging position in terms of where we are on the table with respect to who we're chasing and being chased by and the form that we're in. Um, and the mentality of the squad. Yeah, I, I will say this. I, think it, I really think it's fractured. So We looked so broken, and the three-man midfield was like a little glimpse of light in the darkness. And if he can grab onto that and, and build from that, I mean, we should be able to at least right the ship a little bit. We'll see what happens. I mean, we didn't even get to Mesut Ozil. I'm going to table it for now because I don't think Lincoln is going to be a game that demands huge analysis. I mean, let's hope not. Let's hope it's just your run of the mill four nil victory um, for Arsenal. Um, and then we can get into things like Mesut Ozil because, you know, he's, he's had quite a lot of breaks <laughs> this season and, when he has played, there have been times you thought he might have been taking a break during that as well. I mean, there's an example, by the way, just really quickly, even though I said we were stopping. Mesut Ozil is a guy who, when he's on the pitch, sometimes you think, is this guy really giving his all for the team? I don't think you can say that about Alexis. And that's where I think there's a difference, right? I mean, Mesut Ozil could be a saint. He could be the nicest guy in the world, and everyone loves him in training. He's Here's a guy. the problem with Alexis, though. He may be giving 100% effort, but he's not always given 100% for the team and if you look at the giveaways in the second half against Bayern if he was a little more wired into the team objective as opposed to his ego we might not got some motherfucked in the second half I guess dude I mean he he gives the ball away about the same amount of times as Ox when he was a winger or Coughlin is doing lately but he's also yes, one of the highest yes, XG and XA players yeah, in the world. Yeah, but you think Ox is a terrible winger, so you're not exactly giving no, him a right, compliment. But, but so, there. and I said this on the previous podcast with Clive. And we'll leave with this, which is the the things he does. It, he has so much positive variance in the goal contribution part of his game, right? That when you take him out of a side, you lose so much goal contribution that you better be good at keeping it tight because you're going to score fewer goals. Anyway, look. We we hit it all. I think we covered most of it. It's not a lot of fun right now, so let's let it go. Hopefully, we'll have Wembley to talk about uh, uh, at the end of the weekend. So we'll be back with a pod, you know, Monday, Tuesday, something like that. And uh, so, first of all, read Tim's column. Tim, that's up on our blog now. Yes, it is. Yeah, and that is the one that we just pretty much summarized, right? Yeah. So yeah, skip Tim's much. column this week. Uh, no, I'm kidding. Definitely fucking read it. If for no other reason than as a birthday present to his lovely wife, read Tim's column. Um, Tim, would you like to wish your wife a happy birthday on this podcast that she does not listen to? Um, Pass yeah, why not? Pa- okay, okay. Yeah, there you go. Um, Tim is on Twitter at Stilberto. Please follow him there. Thanks, Tim. Cheers. Pleasure as always. As always, uh, despite the subject matter. And Paul uh, is a delight to have on, despite the fact that we don't always you know, see eye to eye. I'd say like 99.89% of the time we're like spot on, <laughs> lockstep. Uh, it's just that that point oh one where he goes on an analogy corner and down Metaphor Street. Anyway, I held Paul, back a cup today. <laughs> Paul's on Twitter at pausing in my pants. Uh, or you can find him at some exhibition not paying attention to you. Thanks, Paul. 
Thanks, guys. A lively debate that the uh, last couple of games merited, I think. I'd say so. My name is Elliot Smith. You can block me on Twitter, Yankee Gunner. Please give us a five-star review. We desperately, desperately, desperately need it if we're ever going to get Clive back. But this is a cheeky moment for me to say write nasty things about Clive. Do it. You know you want to. Do it. The son of a bitch is on the arse cast. Ugh, my God. You know what? Paul, you and I are never getting that call up, man. Let's just face it. Um, anyway, you can probably hear Tim there next week or something. And I got labeled pod whore, for God's sakes. Anyway, we appreciate you guys for listening, those of you who do, and gals. And uh, happy birthday to Tim's wife and up the arsenal. And let's get to Wembley. Let's beat Lincoln at home in an atmosphere that I am sure will be ebullient, uh, to say the least. Anyway, cheers. We'll talk to you then.